Today, as I mentioned earlier, we are coming to our final study on the series, Encountering the Power of the Holy Spirit. And today we are coming to Ephesians chapter 5 and reading from verse 8 through verse 21. And we're looking at what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And that's a phrase that Paul uses towards the end of this reading. So we're beginning Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is the light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns, with spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. Amen. Over the last 20 to 25 years, I think we would agree that there has been an unprecedented technological revolution across the entire world. 20 to 25 years ago, some of us were becoming familiar with cell phones for the first time. Some of us were amazed at all that could happen on a computer, and one you had at home. And with the increased use of cell phone came the increased desire for selfies. And over the last 20 to 25 years, people will take selfies of places they've been, places they hope to go, things that are important. And in those early days, I have very fond memories of people taking selfies of their lunch. I can never quite work out why, but that was happening way back then. Taking pictures... Developing photographs, manipulating them with all sorts of software has become a demanding business. And recently I asked a five-year-old if she could send me some silly selfies, and she did. Now, I'm about to show you Miss Campbell. Here she is. And I think we would agree that's a silly selfie. And Campbell and her mom and dad and her older sister Delaney, who's nine, came to visit Ruth and I on uh, New Year's Eve and we had pizza together and got to hang out with the girls and it was a lot of fun. Taking pictures is a lot of fun, passing them on to parents and grandparents and family and friends, using them on social media of Instagram and Facebook and Twitter is a lot of fun. 
Years ago, I developed a love for photography. And as the years went by, I learned an awful lot. I continue to be the world's worst photographer. But I picked up a couple of things. And in those very early days of learning a new craft, I discovered that there's a world of a difference between taking a picture and making a picture. This time last year, I was leading a church group to Israel and Jordan. And we went to one of the ancient wonders of the Near East, Petra. And in Petra, you go to an area that has been inhabited since around the year 710 BC. It is an iconic image. I wanted to, in my mind, arrange a photograph where I would be on the right-hand side of the photograph because the eye reads left to right, and in a photograph like that, your main subject should also be in the right. You want an interesting foreground, a spectacular background, and your main subject in the picture. And sure enough, when I looked at the picture after it was taken, there I was on the right-hand side. It had a spectacular backdrop for drop was not so good, but I also have the rear end of two camels. Uh, That was not quite the picture I had envisaged, and I'm not sure I will be using it and framing it and putting it in my study, but there we are. And that picture alone tells you there's a world of a difference between taking a picture and making a picture. The person who knows what they're doing is going to, as we said, interesting foreground, capture a little of the habitat, make sure the main focus is sharp, and that there is nothing in the picture distracting as we have here. And so a couple of years after I learned a little about photography, I was able to take this picture. And the thing I learned very quickly was that if you're fond of taking wildlife pictures, which I'm very fond of doing, you had to make sure the animal was looking right down the lens. You had to make sure you capture a little of the habitat that tells you the context in which the animal lives. On this occasion, I was able to capture the animal, uh, in this case a spectacular tiger. Can you see her licking her lips? And she's licking her lips because she's looking at me and thinking, lunch. That's what was going on in her mind, and she was very focused on me. But I was privileged to take that and absolutely thrilled the way it turned out. Now, why am I going on endlessly about photographs? Simply this reason. As we come to Ephesians chapter 5 today, and we come to this final study on the importance and significance of developing and growing in your relationship with God the Holy Spirit, my question is this. If God was to take a photograph of your relationship with him this morning, what would that photograph look like? Who would be in the center? Would there be things in the foreground or backdrop that's absolutely spectacular? Would some of them be blurred and out of focus? Would some of them be an unnecessary distraction? Do you find yourself spending more time texting family and friends on Twitter and Facebook than you do in your relationship with him? Would all of that come out in that one image? You know the old phrase that a picture paints a thousand words. 
What would come out in that picture? What would be revealed? You've heard the phrase, the camera never lies, and if that was applicable this morning, how would we respond to such a picture? Over the last few weeks, as you've heard me say, we've been looking at the necessity for cultivating and nurturing a close, daily, intimate relationship with God the Holy Spirit. And we've looked at what does it mean to encounter the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? What does it mean to live out your faith day by day by day in such a way that others can see the fruits of the Holy Spirit in your life? Fruits of love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control? Or would the picture show a fear, an uncertainty, an individual in the midst of a global pandemic, someone who's been furloughed, no income in recent days, Others have lost major contracts that would have been able to keep their workforce fully employed for the next year. Companies going out of business, small family-owned businesses never able to open again. Others concerned about ill health, the spread of the coronavirus. And on top of all of that, our major cities seeing marches for injustice, and rightly so. What about those whose stores have been looted and robbed and set on fire? Where is justice for them? We live in dark days. Would that picture reveal your thoughts and hopes and dreams as well as living out your faith each day? So let's come to our passage this morning. As we come to Ephesians, we know, of course, several things about the book of Ephesians. We know that Paul knew the congregation there well. He knew the city. He first arrived in Ephesus around the year AD 50. He was there for a brief visit. This was one of the major cities in the ancient Roman Empire. It had a population of almost a quarter of a million people. If you go to ancient Ephesus today, you can see the ruins of the library in Ephesus. It was a world-class library. It had one of the ancient wonders of the world. It had a temple to Diana that was absolutely spectacular architecturally. Today it's of interest archaeologically, of course. You will also see a 25,000 seat stadium. It's right there. Still there today. Paul ministered there and lived there for three years. He knew the folks well. And in those opening chapters of this epistle, he writes some of the most profound and penetrating theological descriptions of a relationship with Christ to be found anywhere in all of Scripture. In fact, it's been described by New Testament scholars like this. Ephesians is the crown of St. Paul's writings, the divinest composition of man, the queen of the epistles. This letter is pure music. What we read here is truth that sings, doctrine set to music. And that's absolutely the case. Absolutely the case. 
And having written this wonderful, penetrating, profound theological treatise in the opening chapters, and in typical of the Apostle Paul, he begins with wonderful, spectacular doctrine, the reasons for our faith, and then in the latter half of the epistle, he then goes on to say, now live out your faith as you apply what you've just learned. And so chapters 3 and 4 and 5 go on to tell us about how we should live out our faith. And that's why we're coming to this section, chapters 5 and 6, spectacularly so, when he says, and as you're living out your faith, be filled with the Spirit. And you may be saying now, Richard, I agree with what you're saying, I'm hearing everything you're saying, but I have a question for you. And it's this. Two weeks ago, we looked at the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And didn't you tell us at that point that all of eternity past led up to Calvary and coming out of Calvary at the end of the Gospels comes the book of Acts and the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday was a game changer for everyone. And history itself changed that day because in the Old Testament the Holy Spirit would come upon an individual and anoint them for a season, particular period of time, period of service. You see it in the Old Testament with Saul. You see it, of course, with David as well. But when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, every individual who responded to the love and grace of Christ at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit didn't just touch their lives. He didn't just transform their lives. He didn't create within them a new heart and mind and soul, at least not only that, but he then came to dwell within them from that point on. Didn't you tell us that a couple of weeks ago? And I would have to say, hands up, that's exactly what I said. But that creates perhaps a question in your mind. Richard, if the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost in all of his fullness, and if he dwells within each of us, how can we then be filled if we have him in all of his fullness already? What is going on here? What does Paul mean, be filled with the Holy Spirit? It's an excellent question. So let me tell you a little about the context of Ephesians 5 as Paul is writing. In chapter 4 and chapter 5, you already know that the Apostle Paul is encouraging the first century Ephesians and us to live out your faith. The Holy Spirit equips and enables us to live out our faith day by day. It simply is not enough to turn up Sunday morning, watch on live stream, read the scriptures and think, I've done for the week. It's the very opposite. Remember at the beginning I said there's a world of a difference between taking a picture and actually making a picture. Making sure that you capture the backdrop, interesting foreground, the subject is exactly where you want, nothing's out of focus. It takes time and effort and energy. And likewise, living out your faith, growing in your faith, going deeper in your faith, demands time and effort and prayer and obedience. And so in chapters 4 and chapter 5, Paul puts it within 
filled with the Spirit, put within a series of biblical principles of how to live out your faith. And we don't have time to go through all of chapter 4, so let me simply highlight three or four principles that lead up to 5.18. As you open chapter 5, Paul is saying, as you're living out your faith, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Principle number 1, chapter 5. Number two, for you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. In other words, Paul is saying before you knew Christ, before you encountered his love and his grace, you were living in the shadows. Sin was dominant in your life. There was, spiritually speaking, darkness going on. But now that the light of God's love and grace has shone in your heart and you've responded to that, you once were in darkness, now live as children of light. Principle number two. Then number three, he goes on. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Can you see what Paul is saying? Live out your faith. And then he says, be filled with the Spirit. Another principle of living out your faith day by day by day. So if you are to live out your faith, live a life of love. If you are to live out your faith, live as children of light. In other words, let your walk equal your talk. It's not enough to say, I worship on Sunday. It's not enough to say, yes, I'm a Christian. It's got to be lived out in your life. That's the point he's making. And then he said, if you're living out your faith each day, make the most of every opportunity. If you're living out your faith each day, be filled with the Spirit. And what is Paul telling us? He's telling us this. When Paul encourages his readers to be filled with the Spirit, he is not pointing back to Pentecost to say what happened in the past. Neither is he pointing forward and saying someday, somehow, we hope you'll live out your faith. What he's saying is this. He's highlighting for us the necessity of living out our faith today, now. And in fact, he uses, in the original Greek, he uses what is called the present continuous In other words, he's saying, go on being filled. Go on being filled daily. Go on being filled when you're facing a particular challenge and things are not going the way you had hoped. Go on being filled when you're facing unemployment. Go on being filled when you're fearful and anxious about the future. Go on being filled when you are uncertain. Go on being filled in the midst of a global pandemic. Go on being filled in the midst of a national state of emergency. Go on being filled filled. That's his point. Because Paul knows this, that when you set out to live out your faith, you will be challenged. And circumstances will come your way, and they may knock you back on your heels. You may, indeed, as we said earlier, lose a contract you were hoping to have, or your job situation may be changing, and you're not back again. 
And then you find that sin and temptation are having a field trip in your life and you're not back again. And then before you know it, you're taking your eyes off of the things of God and your time of prayer is becoming less and less important each day and the busyness and distraction of daily life, you find yourself way back here and the relationship with the Holy Spirit that was being fed and enriched by prayer and spending time in the Scriptures is not what it once was. And that's why the Apostle Paul is saying, keep on being filled by the Holy Spirit. And in fact, in Acts chapter 4, two days after the day of Pentecost, the Apostle Paul is taken and he appears in front of the religious leaders in Jerusalem and they ask him to explain what happened at Pentecost. They ask him to explain, what is this new faith you're talking about? Who is this man, Jesus, you claim to have raised from the dead? Come on, you honestly expect us to believe that? And the passage says this, And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke. Later on in Acts chapter 13, at verse 9, the Apostle Paul is on the island of Cyprus and he's facing opposition and a major crisis. And the passage tells us again, and Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stepped forward. In other words, in the midst of a crisis, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the midst of emergency circumstance, You can trust him and he will fill you for what is coming your way. When fear and doubt and uncertainty fill your mind, dominate your thinking. You don't have to surrender and give in to it. You can do what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. Like any of the other principles of living the Christian life, live a life of love, live as children of the light, make the most of every opportunity, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what's going on here. Do you remember when Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 is speaking and he says, Knock. And the door will be opened to you. Seek and you will find. In other words, come so close to me. That place of deep abiding, profound intimacy. That's where prayer is answered. Not we over here distracted, worried, concerned about all other things. Remember at the beginning I said in order to take a good photograph it takes time and patience and an awareness of the circumstance you're going through. Likewise, growing in your faith. It takes time to slow down, to pray, to listen, to engage with God, to look at your circumstance and habitat and what is going on. And then you discover the joy of deep, abiding, transformative prayer when you are what? Engaged with Him and are being filled by the Spirit of God. That's what's going on here. In the upper room the night before He died, do you remember what Jesus said? Remain in Me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. 
it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. It's that deep abiding, intimate time with him. That's what's going on here. And notice how Paul compares and contrasts with being filled with the Spirit. Notice what he says. Verse 18, he writes, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. If you have ever been in a situation where someone close to you has been drinking and drinking and drinking for most of the evening, what is it you see? You see exaggerated behavior. You see a loss of self-control. You see exaggerated self-confidence. And remember what we said about God, the Holy Spirit, taking a snapshot of your relationship with Him and what would be in that picture? It may not be intoxication by alcohol, but it could be intoxication with self and pride and ego and selfishness and disregard for others, uncaring, not deliberately, not in any meaningful way, but you find yourself drifting, focused on self, your wants, your needs, your desires. Instead of being over here with him, you find yourself drifting. And here's the Apostle Paul saying, remember the principles of growing in faith. Remember the importance of being united with him. The importance of being aware of all that's going on around you. What is the main focal point of your prayer life? What are the things that would distract you? Is it busyness? Is it simple things like distraction? Are you growing in your love for him? Have you gone deeper during these last eight to ten weeks when we have been in lockdown? Or have you drifted? That's the point he's making. And so this morning as we wrap all of this up, how do we draw it to a close? I think by prayerfully taking time this week, saying, Father, please forgive me. Forgive me for the moments when I hurry my prayer time. Forgive me for the moments when I'm self-obsessed. Forgive me for the moments when my needs, my wants, my desires have become the main focal point of my life rather than engaging with you, rather than submitting and surrendering to your rule and reign in my life. Father, speak to me as I open up your word. Enable me to slow down long enough to engage with you. Take me to that place of deep, profound, penetrating relationships with you. That place of wonderful intimacy. May that be our prayer this week. But don't be surprised as you begin to take time and focus on him if by the end of the week you discover that being filled with the Holy Spirit is not simply something for the Ephesians, but it's every bit as important 
in Greenville in the 21st century as it was in Ephesus in the 1st century. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for challenging us and reminding us this morning of the importance of being filled with your Spirit. Father, you know each of us far greater than we know ourselves. And so we ask this morning that you would take your word and apply it to our lives and draw us, please, this week into that deep, penetrating place of prayer where we will grow in our relationship with you. Father, thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.